Welcome to the Randup Podcast, where we delight in exploring what brains do with words and how creating a unique brand voice will make your business the one to remember and buy from. I've lost count of the founders I've spoken to who are awesome at what they do, but struggle to communicate about it. Once you harness your amazing brain and turn its genius to your brand voice, magic will happen. I'm your host, Andy Ferguson. Today, as ever, I invite you to listen in and try something new because who knows what might be possible if you really couldn't get it wrong. Hello. In today's episode of the Brand Out Podcast, we are going to focus on language, specifically words and how you use them in your brand. Have you ever heard the expression, people don't remember what you say, they remember how you made them feel? It really bugs me because it minimizes the very real impact that words have. Words and obviously actions are what prompt people to feel something. People will remember how you or your business make them feel because of what your business does and what it says. That's why it really pays to watch your language in business. Just not in the ways that maybe some of your elders taught you. All of my work revolves around brand voice, right? And people often go, oh, you mean language, copy. Well, yeah, but no, it's so much bigger than that. Brand voice is this really beautiful, complex, multi-layered, exquisite creation that is woven together. I like to think about a tapestry that you weave with your brand's tone, the pace, the energy, and yes, of course, your language, your words. The vocabulary that you use and the ways that you string those words together, they're a critical part of your communication ecosystem. They're like direct pathways into your audience's hearts and minds. So why do so many entrepreneurs throw verbal spaghetti at the wall and hope it sticks? Usually because they don't know where to start. I know it's happened to me and it happens to all of my clients. Often they throw that verbal spaghetti at the wall because at some point in their past, somebody told them that they were crappy writers, usually a parent or a teacher or a peer. Writing or speaking feels hard or overwhelming. So just banging something together that kind of works and throwing it out there is what a lot of entrepreneurs do. And that can allow you to grow a business to a certain level, but where you are as you sit listening to me or walk or wherever you are listening to me today, you already have a business that's rolling. You know that your business works and you know that it could grow faster and bigger than it is, but you're just not sure why it isn't. The thing is throwing verbal spaghetti at the wall is only gonna take you so far. That's why today's episode is all about your brand's words, why they matter, what they do for your business, and how you can make yours stick, but not like spaghetti. Brand language does a lot of things in your business, both for you and for your clients. So let's focus on three main functions of brand language for today's podcast, because if you can't tell already, I could go on about this for a long time. First, Brand language calls the right people 
to you and signals to them that they belong. Second, your brand's language, its words, tell people what they need to know about your business, your offering, and what they can expect from working with you. Third, it builds community. If your brand language is off, you will always struggle to draw people to your business who actually delight you, people you actually wanna work with. If your brand language is off, you'll find yourself having to explain things more than once inside your team, outside to your clients, to the world. If your brand language is off, you'll probably have repeated misunderstandings with your audience. And like I said, they probably won't even be the right people in the first place. Your brand's words have so much power. I've always been a devourer of words and I really notice the slightest subtleties as people speak or write. My long-suffering children could tell you stories about me being so specific, so pernickety about words. And I really try to help them be specific, especially when they talk about their feelings or experiences. I'm sure that they would roll their eyes if you ask them about it, but it really matters. It matters to other people's understanding of them and their experience, and it matters to our family communication and dynamic. I get so pedantic on the language in our family, but also in my clients' businesses, because I know that subtle variations really can seem insignificant at first, but they can take you off course so fast. You can imagine, therefore, just how excited I was the other day as I was walking through the Swiss countryside on a grisly day, listening to one of my favorite podcasts that featured a conversation between three even four of my favorite people. I'm pretty sure that Dr. Brene Brown, Glennon Doyle, Abby Wambach, and Amanda Glennon's sister and I, we could be best friends. Pretty sure. I think we should be, actually. But until that happens, I was so thrilled to hear Dr. Brene Brown talk about the importance of words. And she was talking about it in a podcast that was part of her media tour around a new book that she's just released called Atlas of the Heart, Mapping Meaningful Connection and, get this, the language of human experience. There it is. It's right there. The language of human experience. So Brene Brown isn't new to writing books, but it took her eight years to write Atlas of the Heart. Because Dr. Brene Brown, this woman who goes places that other researchers don't, who talks about vulnerability and shame, she found it so incredibly difficult to write this book and to think about feelings. Wild, right? As I record this episode just before Christmas, I've got to tell you, I have four, no less than four copies of Atlas of the Heart tucked into the closet where I keep Christmas gifts. Don't tell the kids. And it's seriously taking some real self-control to not reach into the bag that's full of my things and start reading that right now. I would love to just curl up in the armchair in my office and pretend that I'm not home so that I can start soaking in the goodness where Dr. Brene Brown talks about 87 different words that describe and explain feelings. Every single person in my family in this house is getting one this year. 
I have these visions of us having deep, meaningful, connected conversations about feelings and our human experience. We'll see how that goes. I'm not sure my preteen and my teen or my husband, frankly, are ready for that, but I am. So I'm going to try. But whether or not the slightly less linguistically obsessed people in my house dive into the gorgeousness of that book, I am already thrilled at something she said when she was talking to Abby Glennon and Amanda. In fact, I was so thrilled that I stopped on my completely freezing walk in the middle of the windswept fields, took off my gloves, and with my slightly chilled fingers, I typed what she said. Dr. Brene Brown said, language doesn't just communicate emotion, it shapes emotion. The container or the label that you put around a feeling shapes your experience of that feeling and the way you talk about it. Yes, 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 it really does. Words matter. They matter so damn much. And because they shape your emotions and your experiences of those emotions, the words that you choose matter. Same goes with your brand. It's why what I said at the very beginning, that quote about people not remembering the things that you say, they remember how you make them feel. It's complete bullshit. People do remember how you make them feel, but they remember how you make them feel because of what you do and because of what you say. Your words are what elicit those responses, those feelings or the experiences that other people will have relative to your brand. That is why you have to mind your brand's language and use your brand's unique voice to convey the words you carefully choose. Find good words that show your people that they're safe or that your brand is kind or that it's fun and you will draw people to you who need and are looking for those things. You'll draw them into your brand because it feels so good to hear the words that you speak or that you write on behalf of your brand. They'll be drawn to your brand because of all the goodness in the language that you use. And the same, by the way, is true of the opposite, right? Use words that confront and challenge or exclude, and you're definitely going to draw a different crowd. I'm not saying that one kind of words is good for business and the other one isn't. In fact, it's not true at all. But the words that you choose to use in and around your brand are absolutely going to define the communities and the experiences that you create within those communities and around your brand. Here's an example. Have you ever heard of Gary Vaynerchuk? He's an online business sensation with heaps of different brands under his main company, which I think is his name. He's made a lot of money, millions, and he's worked with thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And the thing is, people either love him or they cannot stand him. He's made being polarizing good for his business. Now, me, since the beginning of my online journey nine years ago, I have found his brand of very confrontational language and his style difficult. There have been times along my entrepreneurial journey where he's felt really unsafe to me. I've not really gotten why some people have such passion and fervor 
around following him. I just haven't gotten it. But if you look at his financials, if you look at the size of his audience or the engagement and the devotion that people feel towards him and his brand and his teachings, those things tell me that people who love him, love him. And it really works. Interestingly, though, as I was jotting down in my special podcast bullet journal that I have notes about today's episode, I did a little bit of digging around Gary Vaynerchuk and because I don't follow him, I hadn't realized that early in 2021, he published a new book called 12 and a half, leveraging the emotional ingredients necessary for business success. And as I read the blogs that were describing his book, I was caught by the disconnect between my perception of him and what I was reading because it feels like a real deviation from his earlier content that had really, really repelled me. Now, I need to say, I haven't even read his book yet. I just found out about it yesterday at time of recording, but I have been reading a series of blog posts that he wrote around the launch of that book. And every blog post was about one of the 12 and a half emotional ingredients that he said that we need as entrepreneurs for business success. You know what the half is in the title, that half ingredient is kind candor. And it's only a half because he feels like he hasn't mastered it yet. And when I saw that, I thought, oh yeah, here we go. He's going to talk about, he's finally going to talk about his brashness or his confrontational nature in his, through his brand voice and how kindness is super hard for him. But it turns out that I'm wrong. It's the candor piece that he struggles with. Huh. Gotta say, that really knocked me. I have never associated Gary V, which is his online persona, with kindness. Not for a second. But it turns out that, according to himself, the personal Gary Vaynerchuk is somebody who loves to be upbeat and positive and supportive. And he talks about how, in his effort to always be what he perceived as kind, he wouldn't actually be straightforward people working with him. And so he would praise them even if things weren't going well. And then inevitably he would get to the stage where he would surprise fire people. And that actually created a, an environment in his business where people were feeling nervous and afraid because he could say one thing to your face, but then he could also fire you very shortly thereafter and you wouldn't see it coming. And what that tells me is that he has been in this process of realizing maybe of redefining kindness for himself. And he has said in this post, if you find it on his site, I'll link it in the show notes. He has said in his post that true kindness is being honest, is applying more candor. It's so interesting. I'm still kind of wrapping my brain around the whole thing, but what is interesting to me is that he's sharing his journey and openly admitting that he's got some work to do to achieve the candor and Indirectly, he's talking about how he needs to adjust his language because when he ups his game on the kind candor front, it means that he's probably going to have to change the words he uses and his whole approach to the people he works for him. As he learns that new language, or at least gets more skilled at using language differently, 
that's going to have a huge impact inside his company, but it's also going to have an impact on the outside of his company. Because whatever Gary Vaynerchuk changes inside his company's culture is going to have an effect on his audience out there in the world. Why? Because everybody who works with him is going to feel differently about their job security, about themselves. They are going to start to adopt some of the ways that he is speaking as the leader of this brand. And that is going to ripple out into the world. The same is true for all of us. How we use language in our business has a direct effect on how we work, how well our team works, and how much success our businesses and our brands have in the world. When the leader of a brand becomes more skilled at using words that are true to the brand and aligned with the brand, it's really good for business inside and out. So if I can remind you of one thing, it is this, to get specific with your language. Take the time. Take care. Mind your language. Your audience will absolutely feel it. And you'll have a much better chance of drawing the right people to you, the ones that actually delight you that you want to work with, and drawing out of them the feelings that you're hoping to spark. So We've talked about how your brand language can draw the right people to your business, but there's a deeper layer than that too. When you use your brand language skillfully, you signal to your people that they belong. And if you're wondering how specific you need to be, let's look at a really tiny component of language that has an immense impact on people's lives all around the world. Pronouns. If in my business, I only use he, she pronouns in my language, It subliminally tells my audience that I am a gender binary minded leader of the brand or that my brand is maybe not inclusive. If I use they, them pronouns to talk about my audience, it signals that there's likely to be a level of allyship within the brand with the LGBTQ plus community. It tells people that they're safe with my brand that this brand will include all kinds of people in its discourse, that this brand acknowledges and honors the existence and experience of people outside of the gender binary language that we've commonly used up until now. Those four letters make all the difference to people who are looking for signs and signals that they are safe with the brand. And I will admit that as someone who has built this business, specifically reaching out to female entrepreneurs, I have some work to do. It is okay and has been okay for this brand to work exclusively with women, as I was saying it before. Now I'm talking about female identifying people, but eventually this brand will probably grow to include humans in general. (laughs) But it is a process around the messaging, around the language, around the approach looking at my biases, looking at how I I think about my community and seeing what the common lived experiences are that allows me to draw the right people for the service that I offer. Here are a couple more words to think about. Should and need. If your brand tells your people that they should do this and they need to do that, then your brand is establishing itself or you're establishing your brand, more to the point, as a directional, instructive, hierarchical brand, really. And that's because 
maybe as a leader of your brand, you have this really strong sense of what your people crave, or maybe even you think that you know what they need, but telling anybody outside of your being what they need or what they should be doing, it suggests that you know far more about them than it's possible to know. And if that's how you wanna run your business, then you do you and you do your brand. That's completely a choice. But from where I sit, we never actually know what's going on inside our audience's heads. We never really know. We make massive mistakes with our words because we haven't done enough research, because we haven't actually spoken to people, we haven't gotten curious enough. And so when we make assumptions and we talk about what people need and what they know and what they want and what they should have, it in a way takes their power away from them because they're the only ones really who can know what they need and want and should have. It's subtle, but it is so profoundly important. You can shift that hierarchical, I'll tell you what you need dynamic in a hurry by using words like, you may be thinking, or you could do this. It's so much softer and it's more honoring of the humans on the other side of the exchange, right? Tiny changes, huge difference in the feeling and the experience of your brand. Remember what I said earlier that Dr. Brene Brown said, language doesn't just communicate emotions, it shapes emotions. Shape with care. When you communicate with carefully chosen words, you signal belonging to people. It helps them relax because they feel safe. And when your audience relaxes, and hell, they might be really excited about what you're creating. We're not talking about turning them all into sloths or anything. But when your audience relaxes into feeling like they belong, they'll be so much more receptive to your messages, to your offers, and to your invitations. That's what you want, right? To galvanize your people into doing something, signing up for a free thing or joining an event or buying a program or ordering a 12 setting piece of your handmade pottery. I don't know. Whatever the outcome is that you desire, really mind your brand language. It's going to take practice. Of course it is. But the more you do it, the more you'll notice the benefits to your audience first and foremost and to the growth of your business. And that's what you want. Let's move on to the second big thing that language can do for your audience. It tells them what you sell and how they can work with you. Over and over again, I see clients getting themselves into all kinds of knots because they create super complicated flowery language. It's like they want to use big words to sound smart or worldly or worthwhile, worth the money. It's so common. When you watch your brand language, it doesn't mean that you need to be boring or obsessive about your words. Aim for obsessive light if you can, and you'll already be doing so much better than most small businesses. When it comes to describing your products or your services, words really are everything. It's all you've got with people who aren't yet having a conversation with you. I often say to my clients to just say what they're offering as plainly as they can. Just tell us what it does on the tin. It's really wild to see how every time after we journey through this deep and convoluted process of discovery, that what comes out the other end is so simple. 
But to get to clear and simple, usually we have to wade through a whole load of complicated language before the client gets to clarity. Take my client, Victoria. She's a hairdresser in London, and she got really sick of working in hair salons. The politics, the hours, the required number of people whose hair you're supposed to cut, and the, the income sharing, and all the things. It was so crap. Plus, she and so many other hairdressers that she knows, knew, would do their day job, and then they would go to people's houses and cut their hair there to make ends meet. It wasn't sustainable. She wanted her own space and her own schedule. And she knew of stylists who would fly into London from the US or from Amsterdam or other places who needed somewhere to style hair so that they wouldn't be in somebody's bathroom or over their kitchen sink. And they had a professional and beautiful workspace without the politics and all the demands of working in a traditional salon. So last summer we worked together on her brand voice and it's been so fun to see her business bloom. Victoria now has not one, but two salons in Soho in London. Her chairs are regularly fully booked by freelance hairdressers who just want to serve their clients in style without all the faff that goes around working in a salon. Her tagline at about this place, which is her salon, we're turning hairdressing on its head. Yes, she totally is. She's turning hairdressing on its head. And the fact that she opened not just one, but two salon spaces during a pandemic in London pretty much says it all. It is working. And since she's been super clear about her brand language, Victoria has been showing up more and more online. And that's meant that more hairdressers can find her and they're booking her chairs. And that means they're making more money. And so is she. Win, win. Awesome, right? And Victoria's words say what her business does on the tin. About this place lets hairdressers take control of their income and their life. That's a direct quote from her website. Who doesn't want that? Her simple brand language brings the right people, the right hairdressers to her business, and it tells them exactly what they can expect. It's how she rolls anyway. And now it's how her brand communicates. Because before Victoria felt that she needed to say things in a formal way or in a fancy flowery way, and it just wasn't reflective of her or how her business runs or of its spirit and giving herself and her team the permission to be straightforward and clear was such a relief to Victoria. Her brand speaks the way she does. Her clients, when they meet her, have no surprises because the way her brand communicates is the way that she, its leader, communicates. The tone, the language, the energy, it's the same. And that is what I recommend that you aim for. And before we move on to point number three, I want to make one important point about this whole language thing. Good use of word when we're talking about language. <laughs> Part of the reason that it's so much easier to create your brand voice with help from somebody like me, a brand strategist, is because all of us, without exception, are so formatted from childhood that there is only one right way to write and speak, and everything else isn't as good. School tells us there's the right way, and everything else gets you red marks and a zero on the test. Want to use slang? It's wrong. Want to use conjunctions? Oh no, we have to say cannot, we can't say can't. Do not instead of don't. Abbreviations? Pfft, forget it. Well, guess what? We're not in school anymore. 
You are the boss of your business and there are no rules when you're creating your brand voice and language. The more recognizable your brand language is, the better, because people will remember it and gravitate to the voice that they can identify. Be kind to yourself though. It really does take time to bust out of that programming. We've all been in it since forever, especially for those of us who were in the corporate world. It is some seriously deep crap that takes a while to shake off. When you drop all the shoulds though, that you learned in school, you get all the freedom to create something beautiful. And that is so worthwhile. We are all poets and artists in some way, otherwise you wouldn't have created a business. So when it comes to creating your brand voice, to watching your brand language and being mindful of your words, honestly, just shake it all off and let yourself be free. Just enjoy communicating with your people. Be super intentional, super mindful, but also revel in those conversations that you have. Listen, remember the things that your people are saying. Get curious, try new words, try new phrases expressions adapt, evolve. That's what happens with language. Your brand's language is just that. It's vocabulary and how you use it. And at first, just like when anybody learns a new language, you might be clumsy using it. Or maybe the people on your team will struggle to get it right. Give yourself and everybody in your team a break. It's a new language. It is going to evolve. It is going to grow and you're going to change your language because some things will hit and some things won't. The responses that your brand gets and that its language gets are going to also shape your language. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. That is healthy and normal and thank God for that. Otherwise, we'd all still be listening to adverts from the Middle Ages. Okay, the third thing we're focusing on today is this. Brand language builds community. Are you a fan of any big singer? Are you maybe one of Adele's daydreamers? Or maybe you're one of Lady Gaga's little monsters? Whether you are or not, you'll be aware that fans love being a part of a community, a group that shares adoration of a singer or some kind of other performer. They love it because what they feel is a sense of belonging. As I think about belonging, one thing springs to mind and literally just this afternoon, I've seen another example of how powerful this experience I'm about to tell you about really was. A few years ago, I went to the last ever Camp Good Life project. It was created and run by Stephanie Fields and her husband, Jonathan Fields. He's an author and also the host of a phenomenal podcast called The Good Life Project Podcast. I will link to that in the show notes. Absolutely go listen to it. When I checked before recording, I think there were like 777 episodes. It is an epic body of work. So I'd heard about Camp GLP from a few people and the reviews were incredible. It was basically summer camp for grownups over the course of a weekend. It happens happened in a literal summer camp that had just been vacated by the kids. And there were 436, I believe, campers sleeping in cabins, in bunks, sharing bathrooms and gathering around campfires and singing songs with a guitar and going to all night raves and candle making and playing capture the flag and 
<laughs> color teams playing against each other. But what we were doing together is coming together as this huge community of adults, many of whom knew each other from previous camps, with open hearts and kindness and a willingness to discover and delight in each other. I have never in my entire life been anywhere so warm and kind and accepting. There were more genuine connections and conversations happening with true words spoken at that camp than I've ever witnessed cumulatively in my life. It was one of the most memorable weekends of my life because we all belonged. We shared an experience back then that still binds us now five years later. We have a vocabulary and a shared experience that only means something to those of us who were lucky enough to be at Camp GLP. There's a Facebook group that's still going strong years later. Literally, just before I recorded this podcast, I happened to see that one of the Camp GLP members had flown somewhere in the US and when she travels, she always wears her Camp GLP hat that has a little logo on it. And she needed to go somewhere to have some good food that was good for her body and soul. And when she got there, she was able to have this incredible meal. And it turns out that the woman who prepared it was a Camp GLP camper. And so not only did she have this incredible vegan, delicious meal that she had enjoyed, but on top of that, she made this priceless connection with this hat that told other people that she belonged to this community of Camp GLP members. The Facebook group that I saw that in is still going strong. People immediately love each other and support each other in that group. It doesn't matter if you were at camp the same year as the people who were there that you're talking to. Total strangers are reaching out and saying, yes, I'll meet you, like happened with me in Portland four years ago, even though I'd never had the conversation with the person. Or yes, I'll help you, I'll support you, your fundraising for that event or for your own need. They are there for each other, we're there for each other. The experience that we had brought us together and it keeps us bound. But the language that we use to talk about it and the effect that those experiences have on us, that language lives on and evolves. Language is absolutely critical to building a community. And for a business, we need to have a community of delighted clients who act as ambassadors and who bring people to us. And if we don't give them the tools to do that, if we don't give them the language to help build that community on our behalf, it is so much harder. We're making it so much harder on ourselves. So whether you're a daydreamer or a little monster or a camp jail peer, it doesn't really matter, but recognize that part of what keeps you connected to the people who love the same things you do, it's the language you share. Think about any group you're part of. Notice the language you use. Notice if it's co-created with the business or the organization that runs that group. Maybe it takes a while for people to understand what's going on when they're new. Is the language of that group used to include people and welcome them? Or does it exclude people? Because that can happen. And if you were ever a kid, and as you're listening, you were, there will probably have been a time in your life where people will have been talking about something that you didn't understand. It feels awful to be excluded through language. Same thing for your business. You may decide that only the inside people know the language of your business and brand. It may be a way of building buzz. It may be a way of 
having people want to get access to the exclusivity of working with you. But if you decide to do that, do it with intention, not by accident. Be mindful of the words that you use to signal belonging because we're all hardwired for belonging. If you read any of Dr. Brene Brown's books, she'll tell you all about it. And for massively important pronouns to words that might feel like throwaways, every single one gives you the chance to signal to your exact people that they belong with you. You want them to feel that. You want them to notice that you're including them. Your words can call your people. And if you use them skillfully for your brand, they will. So remember, your brand language really matters so very much. It signals to your people that you are for them. It signals belonging. It tells your people what you do and how they can work with you. Don't make them work to try to figure that out. And it signals to people that they belong to your community. It helps you build community. Those are the three things I'd like you to remember today. If you remember nothing else, don't just throw spaghetti at the wall and hope it sticks. Don't just assume that people on your team will get your language. The more intentional you are about your words within your brand and outwardly to the world, and the more carefully you share with your team how to use that language, the bigger the impact of your words will be. And that is why watching your language is good for business. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Brand Up Podcast, your hub for all things brain, voice, and brand. Want to dive deeper into the fascinating world of brand voice? Let's connect on socials at I am Andy Ferguson. You can also visit me on my website. The link to that is in the show notes. If you liked what you heard, please leave me a review so this podcast can reach more bright business founders just like you and share it with other wonderful minds, neurodiverse or otherwise. Remember, this is your chance to brand up because it's your brain, your voice, and your brand after all. I'm Andy Ferguson saying speak soon and bye for now.